0: You've tuned into all things fine and gentry with the connoisseur French Thompson, where consistently we bring you ideas, concepts, and exposure to thoughtful content, lifestyle enhancements, and opportunities to improve yourself and those around you. Thank you for tuning in and taking a listen to this week's episode. welcome 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 back to another episode of all things fine and gentry and guess what you all this is the first episode of the new year for us for season two thank you all uh which i think i'm going to affectionately call you all the connoisseurs thank you connoisseurs that have been along for this journey our first 20 plus episodes of uh last year and uh coming back for this season i promise you that this season is going to be awesome so many great guests that will be on the podcast and um People that I've known for years, uh, people that I've just met and people all in between uh, and some great topics to kind of challenge us to where we are. So if this is your first time listening. This is French Thompson, the connoisseur of all things fine and gentry. And we would love for you to uh, like, subscribe, review, rate on whatever podcast platform that you're listening on. It helps me to know that uh, that you like what you're listening to, or even if you hate it, it helps me to uh, improve what I'm doing here, as well as share. Share with those um, in your network, outside of your network, share with the world. Uh, and if you tag me on social at all things, find a gentry, I will be sure to repost uh, you uh, along the way because we got to get the message out, you all. So um, we're going to dig right into it this year. We're going to uh, not to do too many formalities. And uh, I know some of you all are saying, well, why did he start season two in February? Well, uh, as I was telling my host that I have now, a lot of people start the new year with like, hey, this is going to be your best year ever. Do all of these 65 things to be better at your life. And then by like January 15th, you've uh, stopped doing half of them. And then by February 1st, you're like, I'm back to the same person. So uh, what we want to do uh, is essentially after you have uh, uh, not sustained whatever type of habits that you said you would, we're actually going to come with some real good stuff here to to challenge your mind and uh, get out of the cloudiness that's there. So today, um, I have a, a, my guest, the first guest of this season is somebody that I met all the way back in Morehouse. And I, it's crazy to say all the way back in Morehouse, but it will be 20 years since our freshman yeah. year of Morehouse, which is wow. crazy. Uh, So I have Elliot Holland on here today and um, Elliot, thanks for joining. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Frank. Hey, man, um, it's 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 been pretty cool to reconnect. Uh, As most people know, I am uh, still relatively a a newbie in social media. And uh, like legitimately, I started a um, a LinkedIn page uh, just last year, uh, as well as uh, other forms of social. And that's why I got reconnected with Elliot. And I'm like, well, back at Morehouse, I knew he was the man anyway. And then I'm like, oh, well, look at the resume. My man has taken over the world. So I was like, we gotta have a conversation anyway. Um, and so we're gonna dig into it today, but as we start with any of our guests, uh, Elliot, kind of just share your your story. Um, kind of where are you from? How'd you ended up at Morehouse? And then, you know, kind of how you got into the field you are now today.
1: Sure, no, thanks for having me.
0: Um, so I'm just a kid from Ann Arbor, Michigan. So
1: grew up in Ann Arbor. Uh, I had the same barber as the Fab Five. So I kind of grew up in that. I um, will just tell it the way I can tell it. So I, I feel like there's a lot of different areas of privilege. And mm. us going to Morehouse, I think you'll appreciate this. I have two professional parent privilege. So yeah. I had two parents that were both financial consultants, um, college graduates. My father had his own business that actually does kind of funny the same thing I do now. And my mom was very similar. Mm. So I grew up in a very strong household. Um, but my parents moved out of the city of Detroit when I was four, mm-hmm. and that's how Ann Arbor happened, but they moved outside of Ann Arbor, so I went to an all-white high school. So I don't know if you knew this, French, but my um, my senior class of high school was 350 kids, and I was the only chocolate chip.
0: Are you serious? Yes. Wow. Yes. In 2001. So Morehouse. <laughs> yes, absolutely. A senior photo is,
1: is hilarious. Uh, I might bring it to our 10 tenure or, some, or show it, because uh, I think You know, when you first show up, you don't really want to give away those details because you're trying to be whatever you're trying to be. But, you know, I kind of came and was it was faking the funk, to be honest, Mm -hmm. uh, relative to some brothers that probably had a lot more experience in the culture. So I say all that just to say I like giving people where I started, came to Morehouse.
0: um, Why'd you choose Morehouse? I mean, you you were in Ann Arbor, right? Or right outside of it. So you could have went to University of Michigan where I did my second degree. Right. And so, I mean, you were right there in state. You have Michigan State. You have all these other things. Why Morehouse?
1: Um, I think going to an all-white high school, I really wanted the black experience. Mm-hmm. I also think from a from a skills perspective, there was an academic piece of what I wanted to learn, but also a leadership, a black powerful, knowledge-based piece, yeah. a differentiated, um, experience piece, and 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 hearing and experiencing so many you know, elements of black men not being full participants in mm. this capitalist society that we have. Mm. I wanted to go to the Mecca of that there if I is. had the choice. So um I, funny enough, of course, my, my counselors at my white high school didn't know much about Morehouse. <laughs> so I had to hustle into uh, Ann Arbor high schools. Thank you here on high school in Ann Arbor for <laughs> letting my black behind in there to get counsel. And, um, you know, I made it happen. Yeah. So That's why I chose Morehouse. And then funny enough, I went to school, I applied to to college both for business and engineering. And I actually did not know what Georgia Tech was Mm. when I left Ann Arbor. It was just the Uh, engineering program at Morehouse is a dual degree with, with Georgia Tech. And they have a lot of other schools as well. Yeah, Tech was really a function of Morehouse's engineering program. So had it not been the um, extension of Morehouse, I wouldn't have known. And then, Morehouse was amazing. Of course, Um, tech was a a gut punch. Um, (laughs) Got through it. Um,
0: I'll tell you this. So um, for those that don't know. um, So, yeah, you know, Ellie and I both went to Morehouse and we both did do a degree. And I had coming out of, of D.C., my thought was I was going to go to Columbia straight up. And mm-hmm. um then when I found out about the dual degree program at Morehouse, I was like, bet I could do Morehouse in Columbia. I was in the same pace, like oh I, I wasn't considering Georgia Tech at all. Uh but then I, I went to Michigan uh for the dual degree program and uh like you, you, you said, like the gut punch, right? You're like, oh man, oh, 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 you, you mean you want me to take all these classes with no um extracurriculars? Got it. Let's
1: just <laughs> straight, no chaser. Um And you don't even really recognize the added level of difficulty because not only are you going from a liberal arts college to a top three, top five, top ten PWI research institution, Mm -hmm. but you're going in where, you know, French, I met you freshman year. We studied together, so I knew three years of your academic experience and whether it was you or a hundred other guys, I knew who was good at math, physics, science, chemistry, the whole thing. You walk into a campus where nobody knows you, Mm -hmm. trying to find study buddies. And and honestly, you are behind. And I'm not saying because Morehouse is behind. I'm saying because Morehouse is a liberal arts school, Mm -hmm. and not all the students are going into STEM. And so you really have to not only settle in academically, but you have to settle in interpersonally. And then the classes in engineering are are unforgiving. (laughs) You can actually try your best. You can do (laughs) 12-hour days. You can... Study, 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 and still not get it, and get a C or fail out, and, and not for lack of effort. And I think the best lesson I got from tech was just you can actually be great and not make the mark, and that still be okay. That um, even though I think right we there. both made the mark, but yeah, you have to sort of realize where you are,
0: and I, and I think that'll be a, a common theme throughout my career. Mm. All right, so you do uh, Morehouse in tech. Um, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, at the end of it, right, we, we walk out with an engineering degree, um, two BS's, right. Two bachelors of science and you have to Mm -hmm. determine for yourself now what, and so what did you do then? I mean, I don't know if you went straight into, uh, you know, finance or did you kind of mess around with some other stuff? Sure. So
1: when I got to Atlanta, I loved it. I didn't want to leave. So I had my criteria of I needed to make X amount of dollars and I needed to be in Atlanta. And I also did internships each year during our program. So yeah. I did five different internships. and So I had a really good idea of the workforce as best as you can coming out of undergrad. And I realized that although I could do engineering at the top level where I really was like lethal, where I could command the, the, the most excellence was at the combination of sort of that quantitative analysis and interpersonal communication, because you know when you get to the engineering school, we came from an HBCU liberal arts college. Like you had to communicate. Like you had. To. You would get no love, <laughs> no fun, no nothing if you didn't communicate and, and do it well. Right. Um, and so you get to the engineering school, and people were doing AOL Instant Messenger. Don't don't call me. Don't talk to me. Stuff. Mm. And you're you know you fresh to death at, at physics eighteen or whatever class you're doing. Um, hollering at the professor, <laughs> um, trying to get, you know, the secret sauce office hour. You know, it's just, we're different. And so I realized where I was strongest. And I made an early decision to capitalize on it, to be fair. So I said, I- look, um, one of my internships with Accenture, it was actually on the technology side of the house. I told him I didn't want to do technology consulting, but I was interested in strategy consulting. Mm. I already had a mindset to go to business school. So, 2005." My so, the year that I would have graduated from Morehouse had I stayed there for years mm-hmm. that summer, I was still at tech and had a year and a half. I applied to and got into a summer ventures and management program at Harvard Business School that had a bunch of minority students who were interested in business school going to get sort of a week long experience at Harvard Business School. Nice. so I had a sense after that that I wanted to go, and so, after undergrad, I chose to work at Accenture doing strategic consulting here in Atlanta focus on industrials and um, that was one of the better decisions of my life too because there's McKinsey and Bain and BCG that people recognize a bit higher than Accenture, no doubt. But Accenture hired the most young people of any employer in Mm. the city of Atlanta, which also meant in Atlanta, because it's majority black, they hired by far the most African-Americans of any company in Mm. Atlanta. And so my network of, sort of technology enabled smart business professionals skyrocketed as a result of that choice in a way that I could not have predicted. So I did strategy consulting for two and a half years there. And let me fast forward just a little bit, because I think I'll let French kind of pick into what is most important. Um, I've always talked to people who are ahead of me to make sure I didn't make the same mistakes they made. Mm. And that humble question of how would you have done it better or quicker It's an easy way to get good data. Um, Going to business school, a mentor of mine turned my light bulb on to private equity investing, which is the business of acquiring companies for a return. So the same way you buy a stock in Coke or Pepsi. Mm -hmm. In a private company, you're not able to buy one share. So the acquisition of stock in a private company is buying the whole company. And that's the simplest form of, of what private equity is. I got interested in it, and one of my buddies told me, well, dude, if you don't have any experience in this, if you don't quit your job before you go to business school, you're already going to be too late. Really? So I actually quit my job at Accenture the summer before I went to business school. So I got into Harvard Business School, fortunately. Quit my job the summer before. um, Emailed every private equity (laughs) professional in Atlanta offering to work for free with this soon-to-be Harvard credential I was going to have. right. And one of my friends, a brother that went to Morris Brown and was a little degree, brought me on for free to do a acquisition screen. Nice. And that credential helped me get to the next level. So I went to Harvard Business School, and I was in class with all the guys from Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns <laughs> after they fell. <laughs> yeah, man, I have a story. And so those guys. So I was just to give you a sense. I guess I've just taken the hardest course possible in everything I've done, which might make me crazy or, or smart. I don't know. So, engineering is tough. Yeah. A lot of smart people we know try to make the transition from Morehouse to engineering and didn't. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, and they're still smart brothers. Just it wasn't for them. When you get into finance, it's it's even more selective. So, it, 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 it's almost like pledging a fraternity if people know what that's like, mm. or. Or, or, or any sort of other process like that, that you can actually be a person who's almost the best in their class and still not get access to stuff like private equity and venture capital. So I was actually behind like 300 white people who had already been on Wall Street mm-hmm. doing private equity venture capital and the whole deal. And so my solution to that was just to call more people than anyone else. So I probably have records of 250 um, private equity cats I called while I was in business school. And that landed me one unpaid internship and one full time job. So I have like two hundred and forty eight no's and two yeses,
0: which is which is interesting. Right. So I want to pause right there. Um, sure, You've kind of talked a lot about the grind. Right. And a mm-hmm. lot of people will look at somebody in your position. You know, you you grew up in Ann Arbor, you went to Morehouse, you went to tech, you went to Harvard Um but you you started off by saying, "Hey, you I kind of grew up in privilege, and not necessarily ashamed of it." Where do you feel that you found that grind? You know what I mean to be able to say, "Hey," I, and you said it like you you realize, "Hey, I may not be the smartest, I may not be right. you know the, the genius in the room, but I'm just going to grind harder than than you. I'm going to call more people than you. I'm going to hustle harder than you." Where do you think you got that from, and and how do you keep it moving? Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and it's it's, I have to caveat that because people will say, oh, that means you're discounting Morehouse. I'm wearing a Morehouse t-shirt, by the way. (laughs) Yes. yes. Um, Morehouse taught me how to be a man. Georgia Tech taught me how to be a professional. That's good. The hours you put in to attain an engineering degree from a top three school, and it's still top three in mechanical engineering. Um, It's it's a 24-7 endeavor. You know, I've spent nights in the library at Georgia Tech. I'm sure you spent nights in the library at Michigan. Mm Mm-hmm. We earned it. We can walk yeah. back in those libraries today yeah. and, and and take a tour. And I think that that grind and then the credential you get only if you do it taught me the correlation between an absolute focus on attaining a goal and the benefit of putting your head down to get it. What do I mean? I knew so. I had five semesters at Georgia Tech. I knew two semesters in. I didn't want to be an engineer. Mm. I actually got my full-time job offer a year and a half before I finished. I could have just stopped and gone back to Morehouse and walked, honestly, and it would have been fine. Mm -hmm. But it wouldn't have been the right story. I didn't know what the cap on my attainment of excellence could be. So I learned the grind at Tech. And then throughout my career, here's where it played out. Other people will try to tell you their job is a grind and a grind that you don't understand. But when you've been through engineering school, you know, there's nothing harder than that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, the greatest mathematicians in the world struggle through these programs. And so it's okay if somebody did an equal amount of grinding on wall street. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But just know that my buddies at tech going head to head with anyone mm. Would give them a run for their money, and so to answer your question directly, it was Tech that gave me that grant. That's what's
0: up. And you you do drop the note in there, and I hope y'all get some of these nuggets. But he said you don't know the capacity of your own potential, right? And, and he pretty much said, "Hey, I could have taken the easy route, right?" And, and, it, and it and it's not necessarily the easy route because it's not easy to get into Morehouse. It's not easy to do all those types of things. It's not easy before you even graduate to get a uh, a full time job offer, right? And so the right. relative the easier route would have been to say, OK, boom, I'm a walk I already have a job. Let's just keep moving. Um, but it's like, hey, I'm I'm not going to limit my own potential by saying I'm going to do easy. I'm going to keep pushing and get harder with it. All right. That's good. That's good. All right. So we talked about kind of the foundation of where you are and how you got into finance and, you know, uh, the private equity side. And so can you explain a little bit more about private equity versus venture capitalism? And then I want to kind of talk about some of those principles and how we collectively can look at it, you know, essentially financial principles to the way that we conduct our lives and really how we're aiming for 2021. So kind of talk about the difference between the two and we'll go from there. So I will communicate the difference in a couple of ways. The first is
1: Private equity is the acquisition or investment in established companies. Mm. It doesn't necessarily mean 10 plus years, but it means established, been around, consistent revenue, consistent cash flow, been through a downturn or two, so established long-term businesses. Venture capital is the business of investing in startups, Mm. which are early stage, which are unproven, which are even crazier bets on the future. So private equity established companies, venture capital, early stage companies, what does that mean? When you invest in later stage companies, what that means is, you know, maybe 20% or less of later stage companies go bankrupt in any given year. Mm. So your probability of success in private equity, some success is higher. Yeah. So what you do is you manage a portfolio of maybe five investments and You know, four or four and a half go well, you know, one to a half of one go poorly, Mm. and you get a 15 or 20, 25, 30% return. And venture, because you're predicting the future in these early stage companies, and probably it's almost flip flop, 80% or 90% of startups will fail. Now you have to get a broader portfolio of investments to have a decent chance at winning. So, like in a private equity context, you do five investments you're you're kind of okay because you have enough to put the odds in your favor. Mm-hmm. In venture, you probably need about 30 bets to give yourself a chance of getting one that's going to be big enough. And, and most often, traditional venture capital one deal out of 30 makes the whole fund. Mm-hmm. So you invest in 29 things and Uber. Yeah. You invest in 29 things and Bitcoin. Yeah. You invest in 29 things and Mailchimp and those single companies create an environment where they make up for all the losses and everything else. So that's two differences in terms of um, percentage of losses, types of companies. The other difference is that private equity is about managing profit improvement in companies. That's really what you're doing is helping companies become more profitable Mm -hmm. during your ownership. As a venture investor, what you're doing is you're seeing a company with a team that you like in an industry that you think has growth and you're trying to steer them in the right direction as the industry evolves. And so the the advisory component of those two investment types are different. And those are the three primary differences between private equity and venture capital.
0: This is good. So looking at kind of the the, the two differences and how, you know, obviously the risk strategy is different. Right. Mm-hmm. You you're looking at something that's, you know, relatively proven versus unproven. You're looking at something that has mm-hmm. um, opportunities uh, and a track record versus something that's that's brand new, right? And so, um, you know, as you look at, you know, as I started processing and some of you all might've heard me typing on my iPad, kind of taking my notes here, I'm doing better in season two, I actually take notes. Um, and so I want to look at private equity kind of like those habits and practices that, you know, one might uh, have sustained over the years, right? Because we're looking mm-hmm. at taking these principles and trying to, understand how to better our lives, right? Better our, mm-hmm. better the chance for success at what we're doing. Right. Um, and so as you're looking at private, equity, say, you know, four out of five, et cetera, that, that kind of go, when you're looking at it, what are some of the characteristics of those companies that either let you know that, Hey, this is going to, uh, this is going to succeed or fail. Um, and, and I want people to kind of think about their own habits, their practices, their circle, um, in this mindset of those that have been around you for a while, uh, or those things that you have been doing for a while that may have had some, some semblance of success, you have to evaluate if this thing will continue to provide you the returns that you desire, or if it's time to cut this thing loose and do something different. Yes. So what are some of those principles that you're looking at to figure out if it's still worth the investment?
1: So before I answer that, I want to establish who I am in this fight. Mm-hmm. So I'm an engineer, black dude, didn't do Wall Street stuff and got into alternative assets. Mm. And so for me, I'm always fighting for the underdog and trying to be particularly simplistic in how I explain these things, because some of this SHIT is not that complicated. (laughs) You you can cuss on all things. It's Okay, (laughs) Okay, OK. You know, I don't know. And what I tell people, and I've talked to some of my Georgia Tech guys like NBA in a weekend, and I tell them, you know, all the mathematical equations and formulas and, um, functions we had to calculate finances, addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division.
0: Wow. That's good.
1: So French, you have an infinite command of those operators and, and, and hundreds of others. And so you can get this. So here's what you look for in private equity. First off, when you start making investments, you don't know squat. Yeah. And so you have to sort of understand that. And I'll use the phrase, when you first start anything, you're going to suck at it. And if you're too scared of the suck, that's what prevents a lot of people from getting good. Nugget, but keep going. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So when you start, you don't know squat. And when you get into it a bit, what you realize is you understand the things that you do and the things that you like. So I can answer the question, like, what companies are universally great? French, what I would tell for people in this audience is that think about the things you understand. So Mm. if you're a psychologist or a a, a medical health professional and you're in your 30s and you're thinking about, let me go consider buying a company or even investing in a company, Well, the industry from your professional perspective that you know the best is probably healthcare in this analogy. So you should have some idea of the trends in this industry. You may have seen five or 10 years of business operation. You may understand the nuanced things that work in a medical setting, the ones that don't work. So that's where you would be the best. You know, for me, I grew up in Michigan, industrial area, right? Um, I did mechanical engineering and industrial discipline. My private equity firms that would hire me were industrials. I'm still strongest in industrials. Those are the things that I know. Now to answer your question about how do you get a sense of what's going to be a good company? One piece is you look at the history of the company to see how well they've done in good markets and bad. Mm. So that's a piece of data you can always get from a company before you invest in it. The other thing you think about is what kind of industries are not impacted significantly by the majority of market changes? Right, so for instance, 2020 was a mother yeah. for a lot of us. But think about the guy who was hauling trash. Ooh, that's good. he had a good 2020 because yeah. more people were ordering Amazon takeout, mm. all the rest. So the restaurant business took a hit. The trash moving business um, was booming. Mm. If you were in trash, you're not telling people, but you're smiling. Your your portfolio is stronger, mm. right? If your business was takeout only and you were owning the Uber Eats market, Mm -hmm. you did better. If you were managing um, remote workforces or, or providing remote workers for professionals, you did well. And so you can't ever predict the downturn. What you can do is get into businesses that do well almost regardless of the industry. So I have friends that are in trucking trucking you always have to move things from point A to point B and where the water stops the truck has to start right mm-hmm. and so those people do well and so what you're looking for oftentimes and this is the difficulty and probably the fourth difference between private equity and venture capital the best private equity investments are what people would consider boring companies mm. i said trash i said trucking yeah. you know simple manufacturing you know simple business services Whereas when you're on the venture side, you get to talk about exciting things like uh, Tesla and SpaceX yeah. and um, Salesforce.com. Um, but once you start talking about those sexier things, you're also talking about a portfolio of investments that has a lower likelihood for each investment to be successful. So in private equity, you look for consistent cash flows um, and and typically that comes from the stable stuff that's not sexy. So you almost have to like take your fashion brain off
0: mm. and go to like your brass tacks brain. So it's interesting, right? Because as you're talking about this, and I mean, if, if people are listening, you're getting two lessons in one. One, how to invest. The other, right? How to invest in the market and things like that. The other is, if you are understanding this, this, uh, this analogy is essentially, right? I mean, you know, people are like, hey, how do I improve my life? Well, from a private equity concept, it's the same thing, it's the unsexy stuff. You sleep, you eat right, you exercise consistently, you you know, drink less, you do those things that are to you what you said. It's not the sexy stuff, right? But it's the the day in and day out that people have to do to maintain life, right? And you know, I, I think oftentimes we do, we go towards that sexiness, right? We go towards that fad, South Beach diet, mm-hmm. or, you know, I'm drinking yes. nothing but pineapple juice, or, you know, right. I, right. I want to follow whichever the hottest trend is. Let
1: me get my Peloton,
0: exactly.
1: um, you know, keto, mm-hmm. um, I'm juicing, eight, whatever. Eight. But the reality is you're managing a portfolio of opportunities and activities <laughs> as, a, as an investor in yourself, right? And so you said it earlier and I, I wanted to sort of answer your questions directly and forgive me for kind of butting in, but that's, that's actually what it is. So my best decisions in my life, and I'm not saying I'm amazing. I'm just saying, you know, I've done some cool things. They've been decisions in the face of unknown outcomes. There was no, if I go left, Y will happen? If I go right, X will happen. It was this sort of nebulous future of decisions of almost infinite, um, Infinite range, and and when you're in those situations, which you are many times in life, you have to think about which one has the highest chance of getting me where I want to go. Mm. So if you go back to like the advisors at Morehouse, right, yeah, advising you on how to take the classes at Morehouse that were transfer to the institution that you're going to. Second, if you just go to Morehouse and take the regular curriculum that three years that you're supposed to spend can turn into five and you still have two, two and a half at the next school. Mm-hmm. You didn't back into the life that you wanted. I mean, I think when you're, when you're thinking about risk and life and, and my opinion, cause I'm probably more risk neutral mm. than, than French. Um, it's, 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 it's managing and mitigating the risk. It's not that I want a bowl full of risk. Yeah. French doesn't want. It's that I'm willing to evaluate this bowl full of risk and realize, oh my gosh, there's some gold at the bottom. That's good. So I'm willing to eat some spoiled um, cabbage yeah, or, or whatever the pain is, right? Because there's gold in the, in the bowl full of risk. And I think when you're managing your life, you have to sort of think about if you go to the extremes, because it's easiest in the extremes, the incremental decisions are tough. <laughs> a person who takes no risk is going to live a, a no-risk life that's probably very predictable, yeah. but honestly pretty boring. And although it might be economically sound, on top of all the working out and eating right and reading, there's we don't live in these worlds to be bored. Teach, and so there's, teach. Yeah, man. there's some component of I enjoyed this place too. On the infinite risk side, you're gonna take a lot of losses, a lot of punches, and it may take a very long time for your risk neutrality to pay off. Mm. Like for me, we didn't get into my background all the all the way through, but I will tell you for ten years, I've hustled as entrepreneur. and I would say only in the past two or three have my bets from a decade ago started paying off wow. and it had I quit five years into the process, I would have reverted back to a risk adverse place that would not have been bad. I would have absolutely fed myself and had a decent life and gone back to homecoming. (laughs) But if I, I kept playing my hand, I kept mitigating my risk. And I think that fundamentally the person who keeps trying wins the day, like persistence, I think wins way more battles than um,
0: capacity or intelligence. That's good. All right. All right. So, um, we talk about risk, right, and so mm-hmm. even even with some of these uh, longstanding companies because this I think it would be great to pivot towards the the venture side. Um, sure. when, when do you know on the private equity side it's time to sell? it's time to to get out, right uh, and then because that's that's a risk play too, right? And then yes. you know, how do you? What are the things on the venture side to where you're saying, hey, I'm willing to take this risk that you look for qualities to enable you to say it's time to buy, right, or time to get in? So when do you know it's time to go on the safe stuff? And when do you know it's time to get in on the risky stuff?
1: Great question. Amazing question. So, and I'm going to answer it at high school level because I think that's the simplest way to answer it. Yeah. Um, You own an ice cream truck. Mm-hmm. Let's just call it ice cream truck to business, right? Um, and every single year, it throws off, let's just make it easy, $100 worth of um, of, of profit, yeah, cash. Um, let me just tell you that valuation on most small businesses is between three and four times the cash the business throws off in a year. Okay. So let's just call, if it's $100 of cash, off, let's call that a $400 business, meaning I would... Sell my business to French if he'll pay me four years of my expected end. Okay? okay. So, if that's what the traditional market is for my business, that's what these things trade typically at. You know, a mm-hmm. Big Mac is $5, right? right? Okay. If all of a sudden somebody wants to pay me $10 for a Big Mac, I sell. Mm. And so, it, it, I know it's a back end answer, but the real answer is when somebody's willing to pay you more than your expected value for the asset that you have, that's when it's time to sell. Or when you get when you feel yourself getting tired of a business, it's important to sell because it'll be harder to sell it if you're already tired when you try to sell it Mm. or when you're retiring. The reality is, French, if you own a profitable business, you almost don't want to sell unless some set of circumstances that are a bit irregular pop up. Here's Mm -hmm. why. And this is why private equity as an asset class is different than business ownership as a career choice, mm. right? As a private equity firm, I have to sell my assets every five years to give my investors their money back to get the return. Even if I re up on the next fund, I can't hold an asset for more than five or so years without selling it because I need to give my investors back the money. If I'm a private business owner like I am, and I have a business that's cash flowing, the thing is, if I sell it for four times cash flow, but I could have held it for eight years, yeah. unless I have a investment opportunity with a higher return,
0: Watch it, it doesn't make sense. That's good.
1: And so I know there's some complexity there, but if somebody overpays you, sell, yeah. right? If you're going to get tired, sell. Otherwise, I would encourage you to hold the business and, and play the game sort of like Warren Buffett and yeah. Charlie Munger. If you're going to study any investors, go get poor Charlie's Almanac. And read what Warren and Charlie have done. And if you're a value investor, those strategies work largely in in, in private equity. So you also asked me about venture
0: When do you, you want to buy. Yeah, when you know it's time to buy, right? Um, you're, you're looking at something that's risky. You're looking at something new, something shiny on the shelf. When do you when do you know it's time to actually step into that?
1: So for the for the nerds on here, I would encourage you to read an article by Howard Marks about risk. Called Risk Revisited. Mm. You'll love this, French, because um, a lot of my engineering buddies were formerly risk adverse and I pushed them to be less risk adverse because of the thesis in Risk Revisited. Well,
0: I'm gonna have to read that because I am. It's a I good am, job. Yeah, I am risk adverse at most things. So I'm gonna read this and, and then maybe you can pull me into this world here. Please do. Because here's the funny thing, French, I'm
1: risk adverse also. I just I'm able to calculate a i would calculate a lower risk profile for some things that are inherently risky because I've experienced them mm, that's good that's good, so like me going out at night in d c where you're from would be a higher risk for me than you right that's, that's a good point i mean perfect analogy yeah yeah um and so since I've been entrepreneurial and been in investing circles, a lot of this stuff is not as risky for me, but let me go back to what we were talking about so Risk Revisited talks about the fact that there's a risk of not taking risks. Mm. And that's one that people rarely talk about because we always talk about the risk of changing. Oh, my God, it's uncomfortable. What if I fail? What if yeah. I fail? Um, I'll be honest right now. It was a terrible market in 2020, but every investor I know that had any significant education on investing put their money in the market and it was one of the best years for the market ever Mm -hmm. so the people who are like oh my gosh chicken little the sky is falling put my money in my mattress the risk that they encountered this year was risk of not making a bet Mm. so the market returned like 40 or 50 percent in 2020 did your portfolio and i'm I'm talking to myself too I, i missed it i didn't have enough cash um, I was investing in my business, and so I thought my investment in my business had a high return in the market. But what I'm saying is missing that risk creates risk. Mm. So, for instance, I talked earlier about when I got my job, I could have downgraded my major mm. and still kept my job. The issue is the risk of not pushing yourself harder is you don't get the respect that's um, commensurate with getting through such a program And you don't actually know what the risk of that will be over your 40 year teach career. That's good. You know, that's good. And so on a venture side, when do you want to get in? It's similar to private equity. Honestly, I think with venture and I think in any investment where you want to play is in areas you understand. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't understand technology, Bitcoin, Forex, um, um, artificial intelligence, then I would encourage you to start reading. And when you get comfortable enough with an industry or a business type and you start thinking your opinion of the future of where it will go exceeds the opinion of the general population, that's when you want to make a bet. Mm. Or one of our mutual friends, Braxton Davis from Morehouse, uh, has a company, MetricMate, um, that has sort of some technology to help people with working out consistently. If you find a person that's just hustling, they're behind off Investing. and has done well with other investments that have been put with them. Sometimes you just invest in the person because, you know, they'll chew through steel or run through a brick wall. And that can be a sound investment, too.
0: That's good. I mean, there's so many nuggets in there and legit for myself, I'm going to re-listen Right. Because there's so many times in my life. I mean, even right now, there are some risks that I am. Debating on taking right uh, personal risk, uh, financial risks, and you know, for me, it's it's always been take the safe bet. You know, be you know slow and steady wins the race. But my wife challenged me yesterday, uh, particularly on on something that's going on with the job. She was like, mm-hmm. "When when are you just going to speak up? Like, when when is your voice the one that matters? When is it your time to to do this versus somebody else? You know, either pushing you or somebody else speaking up on a topic." And, um, you know, I've, I've wrestled with that all day. Um, all, all yesterday I did. And as you're kind of talking through this, I've thought about how often in my life have I taken the, uh, less risky route, right. And to your point, hmm. it, it's not necessarily a losing strategy. It's just a strategy right. that does not get you the greatest return that you can get. Yes. You know, and and for whatever I mean, investment you already made. For whatever, you, you're you going to make the investment. You're going to spend your time. You're going to spend your money. You're going to yes. sacrifice something, regardless of what it is, right? I mean, yes. the same analogy we're talking yeah. about in regards to to traditional lifestyle, right? You're going to spend money right. on a place to live. You're going to buy a car. You're going yes. to do some type yeah. of, you're going to eat some type of way. So your question is, yes. how are you going to best right. invest that that asset, that capital that you're putting in? And realize that one way or the other you're going to get a return on it. Now you can be more um more risky and and step out. And guess what? That return will mm-hmm. be and to your point, what you said earlier, right? I think you were saying it's like a you know a 20 to one or maybe a 10 to one type of success rate. But that one pays off so much more that helps you to be yes. to to move further beyond, right? Those that invested. I mean, I'll just listen yes. to a podcast. Uh, I listen to this podcast called Alux, um, and they just kind of go through like, you know, luxury stuff and like luxury and like billionaire principles, millionaire principles. And they were talking about Mm -hmm. investing with your circle and your friends. So they talked about Elon Musk and other cats that invested in PayPal. Right. And they did all this stuff in PayPal, made billions, sold it off. And then, you know, each of them took all their money and started investing in other companies. And they said Mm -hmm. that when you look at it, you turn around and say. You know, Elon could have just been like, oh, I'm going to be easy here. But the capital that he needed to do Tesla or SpaceX wasn't just his own capital. It was the cats that that grinded with him and said, hey, we know we've seen things fail, but we believe in what you're doing and we're going to invest in it. And that's similar to in our own life. Like, hey, you got to have the circle, people, processes that push you to be to be to reach the potential that you that you have and see the. And I'm going to speak to black people a little bit here.
1: Um, jobs, entrepreneurship I'm biased as entrepreneur but people make a lot of money on jobs one thing I would commit to everyone to understand your boss has no incentive to pay you a single dollar more or give you a single unit of less stress right? than than they can give you and that's the nature of being an employee and I think there's a lot of sort of doctrines around you deserve, you deserve you deserve and I'm not saying you don't deserve. What I'm saying is you don't get what you deserve. You get what you negotiate. Yeah. And so you have to push people knowing you're going to lose that battle, mm. but you're likely to win a war. And so oftentimes what I talk to my friends about that are in um, job situations that are you know tenuous is once you find a competing offer that you're okay with, now you can negotiate without risk. That's good. And so how do you mitigate the risk? And if you Ray Dalio has some other good stuff on risk and his thing is think about the second and third derivative outcomes of a single choice. I assert myself with my boss. My boss may get mad and get mad at me. Okay. If you stop there, Mm. you missed it. Yeah. Can your boss fire you? Do you have skills that are differentiated? How long will it take to replace you? Is your workplace one where they fire people for asserting themselves? Can you stomach three to six months of frustration to get a point across? Mm-hmm. Um, are you willing to push somebody past their comfort zone to get something? And you two might have a tenuous relationship, but they have to pay you. Yeah. The mitigants allow you to play the game a bit different. I think a lot of us, and again, I'm talking to black people. The first thing was your boss has no incentive to pay you anymore then you'll take. And the second piece is that. Um, you have to sort of think about are you willing to take a temporary loss to get a longer term gain? So like you're out with your, your girlfriend or your wife and somebody presses up on her who's twice your size. <laughs> right? Yeah. And now you have a situation that somebody is trying the woman you love who's probably going to beat you up mm-hmm. if you assert yourself. But if you don't assert yourself, you're going to have a permanent issue with the woman you love Yep. So you might have to punch this dude and get your ass whooped to go home and be the man. Yep. Yeah. That's good. That's a great And that's the loss that you walk into sometimes if you're thoughtful about what's the universe and what's the second and third iteration. I'd rather go home with my butt whooped and, and and my wife feeling that I protect her, protected her rather, than to to to, you know, back away from that situation because of the fear of the, 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 the short term loss that now puts me in a 30-year deficit. Mm. <laughs> and I think a lot of our decisions mirror that. Like, I, I would encourage everyone to consider taking a bit more losses
0: if you can walk into a loss as part of a portfolio of likely wins. That's good. Hey, man, we're we, we, we going to have to bring you back on to talk even more investment strategy and uh, e- essentially how to... How, how to essentially build your portfolio, right? Because to your, I mean, you, you hit on a lot, the latter part here, we as as black folks, right? We 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 don't, we don't invest, we don't do what we're supposed to, we don't do more, right? And so um, I would love to have you back on to talk about it, but I hope folks today really process this and, and understand, like, I know I did to be able to think about, okay, wh- how do I invest in myself? How do I invest mm-hmm. externally and internally? How do I make those right choices and evaluate it based on certain principles, and be able to to make the best choice to propel myself towards mm-hmm. the towards the goal that I have? And I think if, if we do, man, like not only twenty twenty one will be different, but you, based on I mean, either, even using the same analogy you just used at the end here, if you if you defend your girlfriend or your wife, right? If you step up to the plate in your life and defend your, your desire to be better. You will, and, mm-hmm. and you may get your butt whipped in the beginning. It's not going to be easy, mm-hmm. but you're going to have a 30 years of return versus mm-hmm. avoiding this pain now and who knows what type of deficit you're going to be in. And quite honestly, we don't know how, many, how much of a deficit we've been digging out for the years that we have been alive, right? Because of the choices that we've yeah. made that we're, we're digging. I mean, some people, I mean, literally, you can look at your finances and say, how much debt do I have? You made a decision five years ago, two yes. years ago, yesterday, yeah. temporary,
1: put, temporary yeah. joy at long-term pain Yeah, versus saving is the complete opposite. All
0: right. So the the last few minutes here, um, because I know folks are going to want to connect and, and invest with you and, and, and make you their personal financial advisor. Um, but, uh, wh- what's, what's next for you? Like, where do you see yourself in five to 10 years? Right. Um, and, and, you know, what 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 do you feel are the opportunities or the things that even you're saying, you know, I need to do this differently, even being in this mindset, right, that you're saying I need to do something differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, where, do, where do you see yourself going? And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll then uh, let people know how they can follow you on whichever platform or LinkedIn and, and go from there. Sure. Um, and I press this
1: quite hard with my friends. Business school will influence you to always want to go after something worth a billion bucks, Mm. would it be? And it will make you think that if you don't go get a billion, or or for our culture, let's just be honest, you don't make six figures or you don't become a millionaire Mm -hmm. or you can't drive a Land Rover, then you didn't make it. And so you ask me what I want to do in five to 10 years. And I have to give it to you, honest friend. I want to be free. Mm. I want to be financially free. I want to be. Um, emotionally, mentally free. Mm. I want to continually keep my expenses low as I continue to make more money. I'm considering moving to lower cost locations to enable me to save and invest more money. Mm. And if you ask me where I want to be in, in five to 10 years, what I'll tell you is that I want to be making more money independently through different revenue streams based on the sort of education and skills that I have and be spending less, honestly, in that timeframe so that I can invest more money Because investing the money, if I get to a place where I have a big enough safety net, then I can start moving away from trading my time for money. And now I can start investing my time for things that I care about, like teaching finance to black people, or helping people understand what private equity or venture capital is, or investing in my personal relationships. And so for me, where I want to be in five to ten years is in a financially free place that allows me to have ultimate discretion over my time, energy, effort, decisions. So if I want to do a five-hour yeah. uh, podcast with friends, Yeah, that you have it. ...that
0: I have time for that. Where do I want to be in five to 10 years? I want to be free. That's that's good, man. All right, all right. So thank you. Thank you so much. Well, if people want to follow you, they want to connect with you, they just want to uh, glean from your, your brilliance here. How does a person uh, connect with you? How do they, uh, um, you know, just, just connect with, with who you are and what you're doing. Yeah.
1: Sure. So, um, the easiest is Elliot hyphen Holland.com. That's E L L I O T T hyphen H O L L A N D.com. You can also find me at my business guardian due diligence. That's due with D U E. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you can also find me on LinkedIn and Facebook, Elliot Holland, two L's, two T's. And I'm responsive. And um, so email is where I'm most responsive. And my email you'll find on elliotholland.com and Guardian Due Diligence. And uh, I'm still very responsive on LinkedIn and Facebook, but a bit more
0: through email. There it is. Hey, man, ap- appreciate you for taking the time today, investing your time. And hopefully people that have listened have will will see so many nuggets in here that they will, will learn to... Uh, be the the private equity investor or venture capitalist of their own lives and take things where they need to go. Man, appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for taking this time. And for those that have listened in, again, like we say, uh, you know, like, subscribe, rate, let us know what you think. Uh, tag Elliot, tag, tag me. We would love to uh, to to see what you think about it. Repost and share, and and be able to uh, and to be able to share this knowledge with so many people. More, uh, so many more people that need this uh, in, in this year, right? In 2021, it's going to be so much to go through and so many opportunities to invest externally and internally. And we want you to do the best that you can be in that. So thank you all for taking the time today and we'll see you after a while.